Right. Good morning, everybody. Nice to see you here on this sort of snowy morning, cold snowy morning. Is that too, too? okay? Right. So today's uh, sermon is part of the sermon series that we've been having over the past months and weeks about Christian life, playing our part. And during this time, we've heard uh, many aspects about many aspects of Christian life, about being rooted in faith, going higher, deeper, wider in faith. And today's sermon is the first of two in the longer section, about keeping going longer in faith. It's really about keeping going in our faith, about persevering, a call to persevere in faith. And the sermon is going to be based on the reading that, that was just read for us, Hebrews 10, verses 19 to 25. First of all, I just want to say a little bit about the book of Hebrews. Um, the author is not known. Nobody knows who it was that wrote it, but it has been attributed to Paul. Some theologians think it might have been Paul. Others think it might have been Luke. Some think Apollos and something Priscilla. So we don't know who wrote it. But what we do know is that it was written for the early Christians, Jewish Christians, who were a fairly well-learned and intellectual group that possibly came from uh, North Africa. Now, they weren't recent converts, and they were probably converted by disciples who maybe knew Jesus and who had heard Jesus speaking. And the writer of Hebrews felt that these early Christians had become dull of hearing, that they were in danger of drifting away. Let's think a little bit about the modern church today. The emphasis in the modern church can be in pragmatics. It can be in things like, how can I improve my marriage? How can I bring up my children? How can I maximize my potential and my job? Don't give me doctrine. I just want to know what works. Now, it's really important to remember that the New Testament never divorces doctrine from deeds. And indeed, Paul, in his books, tends to follow a pattern. First of all, he spends time laying out the glorious theological truths before he gives us practical advice on how to apply these truths. It's very important to understand who God is, who we are, what God has done for us in Christ as a foundation for how we live as Christians. And the book of Hebrews follows this pattern as well. At the beginning, the book lays out, tells us that Jesus Christ is superior to all in his person and that Christ is superior to all in his priesthood. And the little passage that the talk is based on today also follows that pattern. Theology truths first and then how these truths should affect our practice. So in verses 19 to 21, the writer summarizes our position in Christ with two vital truths that we're going to look at in a minute. And then verses 22 to 25, the writer shows us how this position should affect our daily lives. So our position, which is laid out in verses 19 to 21, is we have a new relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And the first vital truth, big truth, is that we now have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. The writer of Hebrews presented the same truth in chapter 4, verse 16, when he says, therefore let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. But in this passage, instead of saying the throne of grace, he says that now we have confidence to enter the holy place, the holy of holies. And before the time of Jesus, only one person could enter into the holy place in the temple, 
and that was the high priest. And even then, he could only do it once a year. And that part of the temple was curtained off with a thick veil, and no one was allowed in except for the high priest. And we read in Luke 23, verse 45, that when Jesus died, the sun stopped shining and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. It's like a container bursting open. God is no longer contained in a building. He's no longer in the tabernacle, in the temple. Instead, he is in us. He is dwelling in our hearts. He's no longer confined to one place, but he is in his people. Um, Jesus opened the way. He gave us access to a very precious place. We can think about some places that we might like to go, maybe an exclusive club or something, or maybe we're watching a big event that's taking place, and we're watching from the outside. We'd maybe like to go in, but we can't go in. We're not famous enough. We're not rich enough. We haven't been on the only way as Essex, or made in Chelsea, or anything like that. So we can't have access to these places. But there is one way that we could get in. We could go in as somebody's plus one. They could take us into these places. And in a way, that is what Jesus has done. He's taken us in to the holy of holy, the holiest of places, as his plus one. He's taken us into the presence of God, and we are welcome there. We are welcome there. The blood of Jesus paved the way. We can now approach God at any time, boldly and with confidence. John 10, uh, verse 9, said, Jesus says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. So the first truth is we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. The second truth in verse 21 is we have a great high priest over the house of God. Now again, before Jesus, the high priest was the one to mediate on our behalf with God. We would bring along, or the Jews then would bring along uh, their sacrifices and their gifts, and they would be offered to God by the high priest on behalf of the people and on his behalf as well, because he was also a sinner. When Jesus died, he became the high priest, but he didn't take this honor upon himself. In Hebrews 5, verse 6, we read, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. I've had great difficulty with that word. I've been practicing it very, very hard. <laughs> and the thing to remember about the priests of this order is that they had to be descendants from Aaron. And Jesus was not a descendant of Aaron. He was a descendant from the house of David. So he could never in his lifetime have been a priest uh, of the order of Melchizedek. But now Jesus assumes that role. He has given the role of high priest. So we have a high priest now who lived, Jesus, who lived on earth as a man who was tempted in every way that we were tempted as we are. The difference being he is without sin. So he knows what we're going through. He knows the trials, the trials and temptations that we're facing because he indeed faced them in his lifetime. He abides forever at the right hand of God to intercede for his people. Chapter 7, verse 25. So the two truths in this passage are we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus and we have a great high priest over the house of God mediating for us. Now, how should this affect our practice? Verses 22 to 25 say we should draw near to God in faith, hold fast the confession of our hope and consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Now remember the writer of Hebrews was calling on the early Christians to persevere in faith, 
to take care not to drift away. Paul, in his letter to Philippians in chapter two, he tells the Philippians that their salvation came through their simple acceptance of the atonement that Christ paid for them. So now he says, behave in a way that honors that sacrifice. And that applies to us too. So let's have a little look at detail about in these, what these verses are saying to us. First of all, we should draw near to God in faith. That is verse 22. Ephesians chapter two, verse eight, tells us we are saved through faith. And Colossians chapter two, verse six, reads, we are to walk by faith. Now our faith is not mindless. It's not a blind leap in the dark. Our faith rests on the person and work of Jesus Christ. The better we, we know him as revealed through his word, the more we can trust him. And the more we trust him in the difficult matters of our lives, the more we prove his faithfulness and can trust him the next time. We are reminded that God accepts us and gives us access because of the blood of Jesus, verse 19. We have been baptized, we've been washed clean, we've been sprinkled with holy water. We have become children of God. We have been, uh, we've been adopted into God's family. We are his children. So what is it that maybe holds us back from drawing near to God? Is it maybe a sense of guilt? way that we behave or shame about the things that we do? Or is it a sense of unworthiness that we just don't feel worthy of this great gift that has been given to us? We are reminded that God loves, we are loved by God in the same way that he loves Jesus. Matthew 17 verse five says, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. God loved Jesus, Jesus is his son. We are God's children and he loves us with that same love that he had for Jesus. So we can come into his presence with a true heart, sincere and genuine, be willing to hear and obey. Try to come in without undivided loyalties, with God in our hearts as well as on our lips. So we should draw near to God in faith. <clears throat> Next one, verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Hope here refers to our future hope of salvation. It's a profession or confession of our hope of eternal life. At our baptism, we became children of God. And being children of God and through faith in Christ, we have a right to hope for heavenly inheritance. So let's hang on to that hope without wavering, without giving way to doubt, to uncertainties, to fears, and, or being moved by persecution and threats that surround us. But how do we share this hope? How do we talk about the hope that we have? Christmas is fast approaching. And we may well be asked questions like, um, what are you doing at Christmas? Or do you like Christmas? What is it that you like about Christian, uh, Christmas? Do we stand up and say, well, I'm going to church. I'll be going to church. It's really important for me to go to church at Christmas because I want to celebrate the birth of Jesus. And then you might get a comment like, Oh, are you a Christian? That look that we get sometimes. And yes, so we stand up and we say, yes, I am a Christian. God is good. He does wonderful things in my life. We should be proud of this fact. Wear it as a badge of honor, out and proud so everyone can see it. Take this opportunity to talk about our hope and our faith. Lua, my granddaughter, said to me the other day, she came up to me and said, Gaggy, do you know something? Christmas is not all about getting presents, you know. 
I said, oh, really, Lua? She said, yes, it's the birth of Jesus. It's Jesus' birthday. And I thought, yes. She is there nailing her colors to the post, isn't she? She's got it there. She's, she's telling people. She's got her badge on. So let's be like children who just go forward. They just say it, don't they? They're not worried about what somebody might think or what they're going to say. So let us hold fast without wavering to our hope. And then verses 24 and 25, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. As Christians, we have two important relationships in our lives, our relationship with God and our relationship with one another. And we need both for encouragement. God encourages us through the good and the bad times, and we try and encourage each other as well at all times, at all stages. So God has made us to relate to one another. Let's think a little bit about encouraging each other, giving and receiving. How do you feel when someone encourages you? It's good, doesn't it? It might lift us a bit. I, not so long ago, I was struggling with an essay that I had to do on my um, Christian studies course. I couldn't decide what I was going to do. <laughs> and I tried this and I tried that, and it just, it just didn't work. In the end, I did one, and I sent it off. And the feedback that I got was really positive, and it lifted me. It gave me confidence. So that's what we should do. We should encourage one another, build one another up, give each other confidence. How do you feel when someone takes the time just to sit and listen to you? You're maybe feeling a bit down, want to talk about it, or it might be that something really good's happened in your life and you want to share it with somebody. And somebody just comes along and sits there and listens to you. Might not say much, but just gives you the space to talk. What about when somebody does something unexpected for you? A phone call, turns up at the door, little random acts of kindness. Again, these are very important. They can build us up. They give us confidence and hope. They help us in our daily chores of life. And then when someone remembers something that you maybe said or you did that really encouraged them, it might have been yesterday, it might have been a year ago, and they say to you, well, you know, when you said that or you did this, you really helped me. You helped me make up my mind about this. Or you helped me come to a decision. Or you just lifted me, lifted my spirit. All these are very important things that we can do to help one another. We should be aware of one another's needs. Speak carefully. Think carefully about what we're saying. Let's not take each other for granted. Let's remember that everyone has something to offer. Let's value what we all bring, what each one of us brings. We need one another. God wants us to be a united body where everybody is valued. So we should draw, draw near to God in faith, hold fast the confession of our hope, and consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Thank you very much.